like for you to turn to the second chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And the question that's, that we want to uh, look at tonight is from the second chapter of Mark and, and it's found in the verses that go from 1 to 12. Read it with me. And when he had come back to Capernaum several days after, afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Arise, take up your pallet, and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And he arose and immediately took up the pallet, went out of sight of all, so that they were all amazed, out in the sight of all, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Now the question is, is the one found three times, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Um, a, a liberal translation of that would be, why do you have this kind of attitude? Jesus called it reasoning in your heart, their heart, Really, a literal, liberal translation is this. Why do you have this kind of attitude? I think, it's, you know, without uh, exaggeration, the most important decision, day-by-day decision, you can make is the choice of attitude that you will have. It is the single most important decision you will make day by day is your attitude. And that is a choice that only you can make. It is a choice that we make all together individually. No one is powerful enough to choose your attitude and no situation on earth is so significant that it will change your attitude. All of that comes from within and not from without. Someone said that life is composed 10% of what happens to us 
and 90% of how we respond to it. Webster has a definition of, of attitude. In fact, he has two. The first definition is this. Attitude is a mental position with regard to a fact or state, state of being. And the second definition is that attitude is an emotion or feeling toward a state or fact. So that attitude is both mental and emotional. Attitude is what you think about something or how you feel about it. And we choose to be positive or negative. We choose to be open or closed. And we choose to respond to life's blessings or cursings in a way that is constructive or destructive. And none of that occurs because of what is on the outside. All of that happens because of what is on the inside. It all is a matter of attitude. A.W. Tozer put it like this. Our attitude toward things is likely in the long run to be more important than the things themselves, more important than the past, your successes or failures, fame or fortune or lack of such, and education, more than position, salary, or lack of such, more important than mate or children, more important than your image in people's minds. Attitude is above all of that. The most important decision you will make on a day-by-day -day basis is the attitude you're going to have toward life. Now, can you imagine how much time is lost with regard to our attitude toward things? I mean, imagine yourself tomorrow caught in traffic. You'd have to get out of Durant to do that. But you know, imagine, imagine yourself caught in traffic or in a doctor's waiting room, or concerning the weather, or the cost of living, or so many other, who won the ball game, and so much of our life in all that we do is determined how we respond, by how we respond to those kinds of things, day by day. You remember Louis Armstrong, a black trumpeter? He said, I've got a simple rule about everybody. If you don't treat me right, shame on you. <laughs> Pretty good attitude toward it. And Stephanie Kaufman says, I think it's true with some, that a lot of people are always complaining about that roses have thorns, and I'm just grateful that thorns have roses. There are some of you tonight who are so negative that if you looked at a donut, all you would see is a hole. And I've done this little experiment before. I've taken a piece of white paper and put a black dot on the middle, in the middle of that paper, just a tiny little dot, just about the size of the end of a ballpoint pen, and held it up to the crowd and asked, what do you see here in this piece of paper? And everybody will answer a black dot. My answer to them, my question to them is, why do you see the white paper around the black dot? Well, most of us have such an attitude that how we respond is always negative. Some of us need a new attitude toward life. Now, I'm not talking about something superficial like 
positive thinking. I'm not talking about something shallow like that. I'm talking about a Christ kind of thinking. The kind of thinking that saw and sensed victory in the midst of defeat. So that when he hung on a cross, he could cry, Teletelestai, it is accomplished. And while he was being brutalized there by people who despised him, he had the kind of attitude that would respond like this, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Your life is hanging on the thin wire of attitude. And we form those attitudes the first 30 minutes of the morning when we get up. Let me tell you kids, when you get up in the morning, your attitude to how you're going to face school and teachers and life will be how you live that day. Um, I heard a guy say, every morning I get up and go, yip, yip, yip. It's a beautiful day. I tried that, scared my wife to death. You know, I was crazy. Guy walks in, so I go up to the, over to the window, and the first thing I do when I get up in the morning is raise the window shade and say, Good morning, Lord. He said, My wife got up and went over to the window and said, Good Lord, morning. I, you know, it's an attitude of first 30 minutes that you have. Now, before we get to this text, and we'll get there in a minute, I know I'm conscious of the time. I noticed that y'all didn't mind the last guy who preached here went an hour and a half. Okay. I want you to turn to the book of Philippians. Now just hold your place on this text and I want to show you something. In the fourth chapter of Philippians, verse 8 is what I call mind food. Mind food. And I'm absolutely convinced that if a person is going to develop the right kind of attitude. He's going to have to feed his mind with the right kind of information. Okay, And there are six positive attitudes found in verse 8 of chapter 4. While you're looking there, um, how many of you use that little peephole on the door of your front door of your house? And you, you, you somebody rings the doorbell, I know you do that. And you go check them out in that little peephole, and if you're not somebody you want to invite in, you get real quiet. Like, you know, there's a salesman there. Sometime I've gone up those peepholes and put a finger right over, you know, so they can see who it was. Um, you better be careful. You know, peepholes are there for a reason. You need to be very careful about who you let in your house. You better be very careful about what you let in your mind. And it's interesting how often the Bible refers to the importance of what we think. Right? Now, here's what, we th here's what we think, what we should think. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, let me tell you what that word means in the original language. It means that which has certainty and security about it. In other words, there are a lot of things about which we have no understanding or certainty. There are a lot of things in life that, we, that are just surrounded like a bee, like a, a bee surrounds a honeycomb uh, that we have absolutely no explanation for or no understanding about. I mean, 
Some people are so concerned about the things they don't understand. For example, I know some folks that you start talking to them about the Bible and they'll say, well, where did, you know, some have always wondered, where did Cain get his wife? Now, that's a profound question. I always answer like this, I, I would tell you if I were able, get it? You know, I would tell you if I were Cain and Abel. Okay. Now, there, there, are so, there are so many things about which we don't understand. Let me tell you something. There are many things about God and about His Word I don't know. But there are some things about His Word and about God and about the way He acts and the way He does that I do know. And I've chosen to dwell on those things. Whatever is true, whatever there is that brings security and, and, and understanding and confidence, dwell on those things, he said. Second, whatever things are honest. The word means honorable. In fact, it is honorable in the New American Standard, honest in the King James. It's, it means worthy of respect. It means dignified things. It means things that call forth reverence. One of the things I used to worry about when I turn on the television is what kind of shows was going to be on there. Now I worry about the commercials. I mean, there is so much irreverence and there's so much indignity. I mean, listen to the way people talk. I mean, it's incredible. Now, I'm not talking about a stuffiness and a staidness that is not relaxed. I'm talking about thinking about those things that have a sense of God about them, reverent and, and dignified and of value, whatever things are honorable. Whatever things are right, he said, that is right with regard to God's standard. Whatever things are pure, that word means to be pure in all aspects, even with regard to motives. Whatever things are lovely, that which calls forth love. Let me tell you, there are a lot of things tonight that I could dwell on that call forth hate. And if I wanted to, I could dwell on some ways that I have been hurt, and you could dwell on some ways that you have been hurt, and all that would do would be to produce hate. What he said is this, Whatever things will produce love in your heart, produce love in your mind, put everything else out. Look through the people, keep those things out. And whatever things are of good repute, that is, those things you can speak well of. And the word literally means those things you don't mind God hearing. Think on those things. That's food for the mind. And I'm absolutely convinced that our attitude would change if those were the things about which we thought and dwelled on. There's a piano over there. If I sat down at that piano, um, you wouldn't enjoy the sound. I mean, Barbara sits down at that and maybe hums. I sit down at it and you, it's terrible, the sound. You wouldn't say, if I sat down and tried to make it, you know, you wouldn't say, what's wrong with the piano? <laughs> you wouldn't blame the piano. Why are you blaming life? So you didn't get that raise. So you didn't get 
elected the most popular person in your group. So you got a divorce. That didn't make you bitter. And the fact that you didn't get that promotion, that's not what made you bitter. Don't blame the experience, don't blame life. Take a look at what you are thinking about it and what you're dwelling on concerning it. Now, on the way back to the neighborhood, I want to show you one other thing, and that's in Mark chapter 7. And the verse is 14. Look at this. And after he called the multitudes, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. This is what he, listen, listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which is going into him, which going into him can defile him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. And what you do is the result of what you are, and the action of your life is the result of what is on the inside of your life. The word defile means to make something unclean and profane. Profane people live life out of bad attitudes. I need to say it again. Profane people live their life out of bad attitudes. You know some of them. And the tragic thing about this is, is that people who live out of bad attitudes and are defiling in their nature, defile everyone around them. Listen to me, kids. When you have a bad attitude, it defiles everybody you come in contact with. When you go to work tomorrow, and you work with somebody that has a bad attitude, and everybody at work will pay the price for it. You can't help it. It'll, it'll happen that way. And you go into your classroom tomorrow, you go into your job tomorrow with an attitude that's wrong and, and bad and profane, and it will touch everybody around you and defile them. And you have to live with it. Now, tonight's story is the contrasting of attitudes. Now watch this. What this story is about is to paint a picture for us of people with various contrasting attitudes. You know the story. You've heard about it since you were a child. I can remember as a kid going in Sunday school class. That picture was on the wall of those guys letting a friend down through the roof. Here's the story. There are five people involved here, five men. One of them can't walk. And they come to this house where Jesus feels at home. It wasn't his home. He had nowhere to lay his head. But he felt at home at this place. He comes to this house and everybody's there to hear him speak. When he spoke, the sound of his voice was so sweet, the birds hushed their singing. And while he was just in this room of people talking, they were listening, 
and he was con uh, in conversation with them. And people were coming from everywhere just to hear him talk. And they got on the outside. They were looking through the windows, and standing in the doorway, listening to Jesus. And he was just talking with them. And so these guys arrived, bringing their buddy on a pallet, on a, on a stretcher. He could not walk. One was on each corner. And when they got to the place where they were bringing him to get him into contact with Jesus, they found this press of people and they couldn't get in the door. Now watch this attitude. Many of us would have said, great Scott, good grief, or something kind of like that. All this work for nothing. All this effort for nothing. Or we might have thought, why don't these people have a little respect for the handicapped? <laughs> Here I am with a handicap. Why don't they get out of the way so we can get where we're going? Honk, honk, you know. And they could have thought this. They could have said this. Well, too bad. We'll have to come back tomorrow if we have, you know, like, like this drama. We'll, we'll check it out tomorrow, and if it's, you know, maybe we can get in tomorrow, but not today. Wasn't their attitude. This was their attitude. Nothing's going to stop us. We're going to the roof. Now, on top of the roof, they, it was different than, you know, in my house and yours. It was a flat roof, covered with stone, covered with, with dirt, and grass grew on there. In fact, some of them even uh, grazed their animals on top of the house. They, they were on the house a lot, on top of the house. It was cool there. They spent the afternoons, evenings there. So they headed to the top of the house. And when they got to the top of the house, this was their attitude. Nothing's going to stop us. This is a small problem. This is no big deal. Anything, you know, worth doing is worth effort. So they began to tear off the roof. Now, I don't know uh, about you, but I'm thinking to myself, how are they going to get him down when they get a hole in the roof? Somebody's got to get a rope. Now, I'm sure that, you know, you run down the true value and get a rope right quick. That's not possible. Somebody had to find a rope. That must have taken a little effort. Nothing going to stop us. So they got this guy on a rope and start him down from the top. Now there's another attitude there. It's an attitude of a preacher had something to say and got interrupted. I've been there. I mean, I've had some fantastic sermons. I never got to preach because I got interrupted. Just trust me on those fantastic sermons, would you? I mean, and there's nothing like getting a sermon ready and getting it interrupted. Here is Jesus with all this information he'd like to share. But how are you going to talk to people without a PA and somebody's ripping off the roof? There's that attitude. There's a third attitude. It's the attitude of the Pharisees. You know those folks, don't you? And they had two kinds of attitudes. One is apparent, the other is not so apparent. One apparent, one attitude that's not so apparent is this. Wonder what happened here. Wonder who sinned, that, bo that man or his parents. Because they attributed every kind of infirmity or handicap to some kind of sin in somebody's life, 
And they even believed that a baby, a, a fetus, could sin in the womb of his mother. Let me say parenthetically, you may not believe that a baby is a baby till it's born, but they did. Might say something about abortion, but that's another problem. And they even thought that a fetus could sin in the womb of its mother, and if the, if the afflicted person wasn't responsible for what was wrong with him, it must be their parents. That was their judgmental opinion about life. Whenever they saw somebody like this handicapped person, instead of compassion, it just, it just experienced exploded in them, it just triggered in them this attitude of criticism and condemnation and judgment. What an attitude. And so they went to murmuring and they, they began to growl within themselves. Now watch this. Just looking at these guys sitting off to the side, you wouldn't know that inside of them they had this terrible attitude toward life. I heard about a guy in New York City who married this woman and he, he loved her but she had a cat and he hated that cat. I mean she pampered that cat, stroked it, loved it, babied it. He absolutely hated the cat. Hated, he is allergic to cat hair. Hated the smell of the litter box. Hated the cat scratching on the furniture and jumping on his couldn't get a good night's sleep. Cat was always jumping on his bed at night. He hated that cat. So she went off for about a weekend trip. He got the cat, put it in a sack, put a couple of big rocks in the sack. Now, if you're cat lovers, <laughs> don't get all man. And, uh, put this cat in a sack, put some big rocks in it, tied it up, and threw it in the Hudson River and said a sweet goodbye. When his wife came back from the weekend trip, she said, where's my cat? He said, oh, honey, I don't know. The cat disappeared. But he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You love that cat so much. I'm going to spare no expense to get it back. So he ran an ad in the New York Times, offered a $500 reward for the cat. No word came. About a couple of weeks later, he said, well, honey, we're going to get that cat. I'm gonna, I know how much the cat meant to you. So he ran another ad, a $1,000 reward for the for the find, to find that cat. One day he got a call from his buddy. He said, you must be crazy. You're offering $1,000 to get back your wife's cat that you hated? The guy said, when you know what I know, you can afford to be generous. <laughs> now, what, what those guys had inside their mind, nobody knew but Jesus. Let me say seriously, you may fake the way you feel to your friends, but you don't psych him out, you don't fake him out. He knows your heart. He knows how you feel about this very service tonight. He knows how you feel about your parents. He knows how you feel, really feel, about the person down the hall. He knows how you feel about your teacher. He knows how you feel 
about your brother, your Christian brother. He knows the attitude you have in your heart. And he gave them this question. Why are you reasoning that way in your heart? Why is it that you have this kind of attitude? Why? Look at verse 6. Look at this saying again. And immediately Jesus, verse 8, aware in his spirit they were reasoning that way within themselves. Why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Now, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, arise, take up your pallet and walk? It's easy to say to a person, your sin's forgiven. It's easy to say, rise up and walk. But to say to somebody, rise up and walk, that's something you can see. So that they could know that he had authority, he told the man, gave him three commands. Rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And all of a sudden, we're confronted with the fourth attitude. It's the attitude of what you do about the direct command of our Lord. And there were three commands. Rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And verse 12, here is a man who had probably never laid eyes on Jesus before. Never heard him preach. He had been paralyzed all of his life, had been immobile, had never been in the presence of this itinerant preacher, this fisherman. And all of a sudden, he's looking down on him and says, get up, take up your pallet, and get out of here. And you know what he did? He got up, and he took up his pallet, and he got out. And when he was confronted with a direct command of our Lord. He made that decision that some of us struggle with for a lifetime. I'm not willing to do everything He tells me to do. And I'm here to tell you that you're not ready to be a Christian until you're ready to do everything He commands. And as long as there is an attitude that says, I'll do this that he says, but I'll not do that that he says, or I'll do this that he says, and if I do that, I'll hate it till I die, you're not ready to follow him. For the attitude that Jesus requires, demands, deserves, is the attitude that says, whatever you say, that's exactly the way I'll do it. That's pretty heavy demand. And the Bible says that he got up and they stepped back and he walked out in their midst and the scripture says they were all amazed Matthew puts it 
They were all filled with awe. I wonder, let me say this let me, as an aside. I wonder what it would do to this town, to this church, if every single one of us decided we would do everything he said exactly as he said it, when he said it. I wonder if it would not be true that everybody would be filled with awe. I mean, we're surprised when we see anybody do it. Matthew says they were all filled with awe, and Luke says they were seized with astonishment and were filled with fear, and they all glorified God. Now, they didn't applaud the healer. They glorified God. Why? Because one man decided he would do it exactly like Jesus said to do it. Now, uh, Edersheim puts it like this. Listen. As the healed man arose, rolled up his pallet, a way was made through the audience which followed him with wandering eyes. The amazement of fear fell upon them in this presence and they glorified God and said, We have never seen anything on this wise before. And you know what? Suddenly the Pharisees were forced to face their attitude and they stood in the presence of the miracle of God, a man who was paralyzed, now walking out, and everybody glorifying God. You would think that these Pharisees, having seen that, would have joined in on the praise, but it didn't change their attitude at all. For I go back to the original statement, nothing anybody will, can ever do will change your attitude. That has to come from you. That's your choice. And confronted with the miracle that was before them, incontrovertible, indisputable, and undeniable, they still rejected. And you know what? They're the crowd that put him on a cross. Now, you can live in skepticism for the rest of your life if you want to. I choose to believe. You can live as a negative person soured on life if you want to. I choose to be happy. You can choose to criticize and judge people for the way they are and condemn them. I choose to encourage them and to strengthen them. You can form certain negative opinions and live in misery for the rest of your life if you want to. I choose not to. And I'm convinced that you don't have to live like that that there is enough evidence in your presence right now to cause you to say this is divine stuff I'm seeing. And enough 
evidence around you to see people who are in desperate circumstances, who are living above their circumstances with victory and with joy and with peace, enough of the evidence to say, if they can do it, so can I. And there's enough evidence around us to, to show people, young people and young adults, who are determined that they're going to live for Jesus Christ and see that their friends do. And they're just, I, 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 I counseled with some of these young people this weekend, and I've heard them say, I've made up my mind that I'm going to live for Jesus Christ and I'm going to bring my friends to Him. And you can live doubting that if you want to, I choose to believe it and say, go get them. And what you do after this weekend of revival, what you do tomorrow when you wake up is your choice. I'm begging you, I'm entreating you, I'm challenging you to choose to do the positive. Let's pray together. Our Father, confront us tonight with our attitude and help us not to be so negative. Some of us, Lord, live defeated lives because we told ourselves that we're defeated. And Lord, I pray that we'll take those, make those choices living positively, hopefully, victoriously, lovingly, for I ask in Jesus' name for his sake. And you were asked to make several decisions, and so I know that you've already made, many of you have already made, the decision that God has laid on your heart. But perhaps tonight there might be some who, for some reason, and it sometimes happens in a moment when we're not expecting it really, where we're confronted with what we really are like, what we really are like, what we think, and how we, how we feel. And maybe there is a decision that you could make tonight, and you should make, that would make this message relevant to the way you're going to live. Whatever it is, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.